0: Welcome to the Organic Wine Podcast. Hi, welcome to the Organic Wine Podcast, and thanks for listening. I'm Adam Huss, and my goals for the Organic Wine Podcast are to use wine to connect you to this amazing planet we live on, to inspire you with interesting people are using wine to do great work, and to continue to expand your love of and appreciation for wine. Ricky Taylor, my guest for this episode, worked in an office in Houston, Texas, and one day decided to plant a regeneratively farmed vineyard 600 miles away on a mountainside in the middle of nowhere in far west Texas at over a mile high in Elevation. What Ricky and his partner Katie are doing with Altamarfa, their vineyard and soon-to-be winery, is something that essentially hasn't been done before in texas so to make it happen they have relied on the knowledge and assistance of a network of people that spans the continent as well as a lot of hard work hours on the road and the belief that leaving the natural world intact is essential to making the highest quality wine the story of Altamarfa is just beginning but already it's one that like the texas sky at night shines with beauty and the sense that we are part of something bigger than ourselves enjoy thanks so much for doing this Ricky first of all it's really a pleasure to have you I know we just met but you know I can tell that you are a person who is doing some really cool stuff so um, yeah thanks for
1: reaching out and offering to have me on here it's very exciting
0: you're in Texas, first of all. Let, let's introduce you. Yeah. <laughs> your name is Ricky Taylor. Yes. You uh, have a project called Altamarfa, which is also your website,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and altamarfa.com. And tell us about that. Tell tell me about that. What's, what's so, going on there?
1: Uh, Altamarfa started in 2016 uh, with the idea to plant a vineyard in the Davis mountains of far West, Texas, uh,
0: which is, and by, by far West, you're like so far West, you're underneath New Mexico, where that, where yes. that location is right.
1: South of New Mexico, East of El Paso. We're about like 90 miles from the border with Mexico, but right. the vineyard site we ended up with, we're about like 5,400 feet above sea level. And the Davis mountains go all the way up to like 80, 83, 8,400. Um, so the Davis mountains are a place, you know, that looks like it's in another state to most people. Many people in Texas don't even know there's mountains like that in Texas. <laughs>
0: They've lived yeah. their whole life and they don't know about it. But it, Yeah, when you started talking about it, I was like, where is this? <laughs> like, yeah,
1: yeah gonna, it's, like, it's, it's very
0: remote. Uh, nearest airports are El
1: Paso and Midland and are both three hours away. Um, wow. And those aren't, you know, exactly the largest hubs for travel. Um, but yeah, so we, we had the idea to come plant a vineyard here because living in Houston, not being from Texas, my wife Katie and I lived in Houston for like eight years at this point, sort of now possibly ending, but and had been getting into wine during that time. And then with, you know, the Texas wine industry has been growing for the last 30 years, but in the really in the last 10 years has been sort of reached a new, you know, rate of growth and sort of expansion. Um,
0: And And that's centered for the most part around Fredericksburg. Is that correct? Most of
1: the wineries are around Fredericksburg, which is near Austin. Um, Right. And most of the vineyards are in the High Plains AVA, which is near Lubbock, sort of in North Texas. Um, Got it. So so the area around Fredericksburg is highly tourist-centric, you know, I see really nice tasting rooms, views, food, wine, trail, buses and bachelorette parties and weddings and that kind of thing. So it's sort of like the full service hospitality, that, that kind of thing.
0: Nice. It's about equidistant between San Antonio and Austin, right? So it gets the benefit of two big cities. Yeah, yeah exactly. Good exactly. Sized cities. You
1: can come out for a day for a weekend, that kind of thing from there.
0: Well, uh, Lubbock is is just about a far, as far away from, you're, you're, or, where are you from originally?
1: I uh, was born in or,
0: or, Oakland, California. Yeah. Uh,
1: Oakland, California. Oakland, California. Look at California. you. Yeah. And, and
0: moved I, to Texas.
1: I, yep. Grew up in Oakland and then also in Sebastopol in Sonoma County. Oh, nice. Uh, shout out to Sebastopol.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, so grew up in wine country, actually, but was in no way involved with wine at all. My parents were not, parents didn't really drink wine. I never drank wine, didn't know anything other than like seeing a lot of vineyards.
0: Right. Uh, It was the deep like psychological impression of your childhood. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Stuck with your subliminal, your, Mm -hmm. your, your, uh, yes. Uh, But so you're, and and in Texas, you, do you live in Austin? No,
1: no. So I've lived in Houston since moving to Texas
0: in 2012,
1: Uh, and then, yeah, we, so what I was going to say is we picked the Davis mountains for a place for a vineyard because I Googled, where's the coolest weather in Texas. Texas is a hot place for the, which, you know, kind of shows in a lot of the the wine. Uh, so I was looking for, you know, Texas is huge. It's gotta be someplace where it's not so hot. And the answer is here because the altitude, despite being so far South, you know, we're further south than Valle de Guadalupe in Mexico, we're further south than Sicily, we're like as far south as Cairo in Egypt. So like that much further south than all of Europe. Um. Yep. But it's not so hot. It's it's very temperate and not so cold in the winter like North Texas. So it's interesting climate. And it's all volcanic soil. Davis Mountains are all volcanically formed. So that's another cool thing about it.
0: That is cool. Well, yeah. when you first started telling me about this, and then you were making these crazy drives from Houston out to the vineyard, you know, every weekend for a while there, is that right? Yeah. You were, yeah, doing so some pretty, we, you were we, living on the road, basically.
1: Yeah. I mean, drive the drive's about nine hours. It's 600 miles. Um, wow. So I've done that, you know, way too many times. And then we yeah. sort of got into a rhythm where – I was flying out either alone or with Katie or my friend Promet or some other roommates from time to time. But Katie and Promet were sort of the main people that would come out for the weekend, you know, Southwest airlines, we'd fly to Midland, which is like an hour flight from Houston and then drive about three hours. Um, And probably from, you know, 2017 when we started doing site prep for the vineyard, to the beginning of 2020 this year before COVID kind of shut down the flying. I probably did that trip, you know, from a Friday night after work flying out at like eight or nine or 10 PM. And then coming back at 5 PM on Sunday, probably like 150 times, maybe. <laughs> oh and that's I,
0: after like digging holes to plant vines all weekend too. Right. Or, or yeah. Yeah. we'd A lot like, of physical labor. Uh,
1: fly, fly out, drive out, get here at 3.30 AM and then wake up the next day after sleeping in a tent and do like labor all day. And then, you know, again, we're staying in a tent, go, you know, we would, we would go into Marfa at night and have dinner, come back, sleep in the tent and then drive back to the airport and fly back pretty much. That was, which sounds insane. Um,
0: well, I, I mean, my impression is Katie is a really awesome person. as what? It yeah, like. she's still here. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so, or that, that should have been my question: Is she still around? Yes. Like, yes
1: still <laughs> around? Um,
0: she she made it through that. You guys are golden.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and it, it re- it's it sounds strange, but it really and the reason for this is because both Katie and I were working full time in Houston, um, m- you know, making money to pay for this whole thing. Um, and then it weirdly got into this strange rhythm where it's like, I was working in an office in Houston. Houston's big, loud, noisy. It's not, never gets dark at night. So much light pollution, just sort of busy, busy, busy. And then having a break on the weekend coming out here where like, you can see the Milky way. It's like deadly silent at all times. There's no, and your people.
0: ears ring. It's so quiet. Yeah. No. It was,
1: it, it, it got to be like for a while, really, Kind of nice. Yeah, uh,
0: that sounds nice.
1: Yeah. And obviously exhausting, but, you know, really fun at the same time.
0: Yeah, you probably slept like, you know, wonderfully. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, so that was sort of the process for a few years of like preparing the site. We <laughs> drilled an irrigation well, put up a deer fence, built our own irrigation system, dug 6,000 holes for vines. End up having to dig them with a backhoe uh, because the site is so rocky that like any sort of like auger or anything like that, we shredded like two carbide tipped auger bits in like half a day. Wow. Um, and then planted 6,000 vines. Turned out we got shipped vines that were already dead. So after a few months of us feeling like total failures because all the vines didn't grow, the nursery ended up agreeing to pay for them for next year and like accepted responsibility. So that was sort of a huge thing. Oh, so yeah, that was
0: 2018,
1: 2019 we replanted all 6,000 vines and they actually grew that time. So that was awesome. <laughs> um, and then this year we were going to have, so we did this also this planting with like, we had each year, you know, 40 in 2018, 50 in 2019. And then, volunteers from like around around the country people from instagram people from the internet strangers you know people brought their family from colorado brought their kids and people are all camping out there helping us plant vines which was really really cool that Um, is really cool yeah and this year we were supposed to sort of return the favor we were going to plant only a thousand vines and we're going to have like 60 people so we were thinking oh we're going to do this all like all the work in one day so that we can like drink wine and have a good time and you know sort of have a party and then covid happens so we end up planting all thousand vines with our roommates and my parents in like you know (laughs) eight days in a row of planting
0: (laughs) that's amazing yeah so i have a couple questions you i I definitely want to talk about this this group effort the barn raising vibe which is very cool i'm from you know Pennsylvania, Southern Pennsylvania, where it's, you know, where we have the Amish and Mennonite and everything. And that is a big part of that culture, the the community joining in to help get projects started, you know, agricultural projects started, barn raisings, you know? Yeah. Um, how did you cultivate that? Like, why were these people interested? What, what, what did you do to let them know? I mean, you said Instagram, but what was the yeah. message? Like, hey, we're in the middle of nowhere and would love your help. Come come on down and Pretty we can't hard. pay you, but yeah. it'll be fun. I promise. It'll be hard, physical labor fun. Yeah. Do you do? In, so in 2016, when we decided to
1: come out here and start looking for properties at that time, I started the Instagram trying to just sort of document, tell the whole story of what, we, what our goal was and what we were trying to do. Um, and at the same time, started the website and started writing a blog sort of like little more words, more pictures, more detailed than Instagram. Um, and just doing both of those things, um, over time, by the time we got to 2018 and planting, we had already had people reaching out to us for a while asking like, Oh, if you ever need help, you know, we'd love to come down and see it and whatever. It really helps that the, the scenery is pretty stunning. So Mm -hmm. Instagram in particular is a really good medium to get people to say like, wow, where is that? I want to go there. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that helped a lot. And then also being, you know, right by Marfa and having that in the name and the sort of like Insta fame that Marfa has realized in the last, you know, five to 10 years after it was on 60 minutes and that sort of like legend, happening and people wanting to go there and making a Wait. trip out of it and that kind of thing. I think so that, yeah, Go ahead. sorry. No, oh, it was, it, it, please go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that's sort of why people wanted to come, but uh, yeah, I guess, uh, I guess people look, thought it looked fun. I guess, I don't know. I mean, it's sort of amazing to me that anyone showed up.
0: <laughs> so for Maybe people like me who might be listening and, and have lived under a rock most of their life. What, Why is Marfa? Why did Marfa get on 60 Minutes?
1: Um, that is a good question. And I think it's still somewhat of a sort of one of those things that just happens and doesn't really make sense. Um, but the, the reason why Marfa still exists as a town today um, is because of Donald Judd Who's a famous artist from New York? Moved there in the '70s, I believe, to spread out and do art and be in the middle of nowhere, essentially. And then this sort of people started visiting for that, and then other artists, etc. That's the reason it still exists now. Uh, Marfa's peak population was in the 1940s. Um, there was two different. Mm, military bases in the area at that time, um, both of which I don't think uh, they both no longer exist. Um, But that was sort of peak Marfa population-wise at that time. You had the military presence and then you had the railroad and people, it was a stop on the railroad and all the cattle ranches around and that was sort of what it was. Whereas now you don't have the military bases and everything else has kind of dwindled down. The population now is about half of what it was then. Uh, but you have this art thing that that started happening. So you had tourists coming, and then it got on sixty minutes as sort of a novelty. I think of just like, like a, oh, a weird town in West Texas. Like this is interesting.
0: well just and sort then, of like like a weird like keep it keep Marfa weird kind of place. Like it's yeah, artists and in the middle of nowhere. Definitely, but
1: you know th- that is really. Only half of the town, you know, okay. the other half is, is very low income um, mm-hmm. and just very rural and sort of like many, many small towns in Texas um, and that don't have the <laughs> weird Instagram fame. Right. You know? So it's, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. I mean, I, I really think without Instagram, no one would, would care about Marfa because is- really, a lot of it is like, Oh, Beyonce's is there and posts a picture.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Is there agriculture around there or is the, is it too high elevation for pretty uh, standard yeah. agriculture or what?
1: Cattle, Enormous cattle ranches.
0: Cattle. That's what I figured. Okay. Yeah. That's strange yeah. for Texas. <laughs> <laughs> when I do Texas, I don't know cows. So... <laughs> but yeah. I, I love that response that people just, I mean, I, I, I see the draw now. I see that there's like this sort of, Oh, it's a destination, you know, just yeah, like the cool like road trip idea, and and we'll we're gonna help somebody out with a cool project. Um, and I, and I, I get that. That's still a I think a really great vibe. I love that that's happening. I think that that's happening here. I've seen that with a couple different some of these old vineyards that have been discovered around Los Angeles, and people have, you know, it's it's like a group effort. Everybody sort of wants to partake because like they want to help with the labor, they want to help with the picking, and it's not even about you know it's it's all volunteer. And I think it's just wanting to be a part of that history. It's really definitely just kind of a fun thing. The reason why people read
1: like, you know, people who are into wine. They, they read books about, you know, Kendall Jackson or who, you know, Kermit Lynch's book or these things is like, wow, that's really interesting. It would be fun to like live this whole life of making wine and doing all this stuff. But you know, not everyone wants to do that 24 <laughs> seven, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's, but, but having the opportunity to do it for the weekend is pretty fun. Like, you know, I, there's lots of things I would like to do for a weekend that I don't want to do all the time. Right. Getting to participate is very,
0: yeah. It's fun. Yeah. You get to dabble your toes without breaking your back basically. Yeah. Nice. So the other thing I, I wanted to ask was you said, they they sort of were getting behind uh, what you were trying to do. So how would you how would you describe what you're trying to do there? Like what what is the vision?
1: So this has evolved a lot since we started in 2016. The number one reason for that being, um, you know, when when I first had the idea to do this, I was 25 and had very little knowledge of wine, let alone viticulture and farming and growing grapes. It, w- it was really just like, like I said, I like read some books about other people doing similar things. Like, wow, oh, this sounds great. This sounds like what I want to do. And then just did it. Uh, right. So going in with like, you know, almost absolute zero knowledge and then trying to do something like plant 6,000 vines on the side of a hill in the middle of nowhere, 600 miles from your house. It's like every little thing. It's not just like, how do you do that? It's like, how do you even get there? How do you do just like enormous amounts of learning? So I think what it started out as is I wanted to work outside, not sit at a desk. and produce something that would allow me to like be part of, of the wine community, which I think is really special uh, in terms of just sharing and communicating and meeting people from all over the world and making new friends and that kind of thing. So that was really like the core goal before I knew anything was like, how do I have a job that is not in an office and I get to hang out with all these cool people? and be part of this community that was sort of like day one don't know anything want to do that
0: i think that's a that's a really great start <laughs>
1: yeah yeah so so that at that part you know that was probably my peak confidence and minimum knowledge at that point point. Um, <laughs> right. and then over time as we get into it it's sort of like okay want to plant a vineyard uh how big of a vineyard well i don't really know and all of the things, you know, books you read and things like this is should be your vine spacing and this should be how much water you have to use for irrigation and, and whatever. There's two problems with that. One is we're in an area that is pretty unique between like the altitude, the latitude, we're in a desert. It It's not really in, directly analogous, definitely to like California, which is where all the books are about essentially, or Europe. Right. You know, it's even less like that. So, and then you have the problem of a lot of the information is so academically filtered that it's like you must irrigate one million gallons of water, and you must dig a four foot deep hole to plant each vine in. And you it's know, not nuanced in other words, not only too idealistic but impossible. In right. my setting. it's like I can't dig a hole that big because there's too many rocks in the way. I can't. I don't have that much water. I don't have, you know, it's like, so it started out as, oh, we're just going to plant a vineyard and it's going to produce this much grapes and we're going to make wine only from our vineyard. It's going to be great and it's going to be easy and whatever. And then it's like, okay, unless we have millions of dollars, that's impossible. So let's scale back and plant a smaller vineyard that we can do ourselves. You know, it's like, what, what is the amount of work that we can do ourselves? And then, from there, it was like, okay, our vineyard site is on a pretty steep slope on parts of it. It's extremely rocky. There's like you know enormous boulders and outcroppings in the middle of the vineyard. So probably can't use a tractor for most of it, unless we get some sort of tractor that we can't afford. Um,
0: and a hovercraft.
1: Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> it, it, it's morphed into, and then getting into the thing of like well i don't know lots of lots of iteration where we're at now is basically like throughout this thing it's like i knew from the beginning one thing i knew from the beginning is i was not going to bulldoze the entire site and remove all the awesome diverse native grasses and flowers and all that stuff and then glyphosate everything and have this you know sort of bald dead soil vineyard Um, so we left all the native grasses and everything. And and part of the learning curve has been like, what does that mean for planting vines? And, you know, what does that mean for their growth curve and the competition with the grass and all this other stuff? So where we're at now is basically, what is this? We're trying to make a vineyard that it's going to be sort of a proof of concept is like prove that it is possible to have a vineyard. That produces in a place like this with minimal irrigation, despite us being in a desert and with minimal spray, you know, just, just sort of, how can we have the least impact possible? Obviously planting a vineyard is impact, but what is the actual line of still producing fruit that can make good wine, but having the least possible impact? I guess is where we're at now.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Well, I have a couple questions. Are you going to go for any sort of certification like organic or, you know, I don't know what you've learned uh, and what you're trying to shoot for, like biodynamic or. So uh,
1: maybe someday, but right now the priority is like make the vines grow and produce grapes. Um, and then let alone like the other side of it, which is like, trying to find a winery space and buying other fruits so we can make <laughs> wine and like have a business and not become homeless. You know, that, that's sort of oh, like right. the other part of it. But at this point I don't, uh, no, I don't really care about those things at this moment.
0: Um, if we you get don't to- care about the certification or you don't care about the, that kind <laughs> of, the certification, the certification. Yeah. Yeah. just uh, to be clear. Yeah. the certifica- I thought you cared about <laughs> yes, <laughs> very what you're much saying.
1: Very much care.
0: And where did that come from? That was going to be my next question. Where, When you say you wanted, when you made that decision to leave in the native grasses, not spray, spray glyphosate, you know, not, you know, where you want to do low inputs, where does that come from? Like, did, was uh, that at the beginning as well, or did that grow as you learned more?
1: I think that comes from a lot of my favorite wines. All of i mean all, pretty much all of my favorite wines are come from grapes grown in vineyards like that you know so if there's sort of two things one is i think that's how you make the best wine period is like comes from vineyards where the soil is actually playing a part you know if yeah. you have no microbial life in your soil you're essentially growing hydroponically You know, soil has physical attributes like how fast it drains, you know, particle size, whatever. But if you have no microbial life in your soil, it's really minimal. You know, it's like a growing medium. Yeah. So that's one thing is starting off with the premise that that's how you make the best wine. And the other one that is just generally like would like – the environment to not be completely destroyed. You know, I, I, I growing up, in fancy a, that, yeah, growing up in a place like Sonoma County and just so beautiful. It, it's, I would like it to continue to be beautiful, <laughs> and there has to be nature for that to happen. So, that's that's sort of my thought about that. Um, and then as far as like why do I want to plant a vineyard like that is. At that time, especially, and still now, you know, 99% in Texas, there are no vineyards like that. Um, There are some, I'm not going to say there's zero, there are some people trying to do similar things for sure. But for the most part, that's not what it is. So if I was going to plant a vineyard and not do that, I felt like I was wasting my time. I can just buy grapes from someone else. It's way easier. Right. So the only reason to plant a vineyard is if it's going to be different than the other vineyards in my mind. You know, I
0: yeah, no, that farming makes sense. really hard.
1: <laughs> yeah. Making wine is like pretty easy, but farming is really hard. So, in, in my mind, is like the only reason to do all that work and have all that headache and heartache and all that is like if you're going to do something that doesn't exist already.
0: Yeah, well, it's funny you, you separated those two. I, I think the more we can say that that's one thing that making wine starts with what you're doing, the more I think we we will understand wine and really get a sense of with you know make making those connections when we actually drink it that you know it's hard work to make wine because you have to grow it and it's something that comes with a lot of hard work and a lot of preparation a lot of care in the vineyard really the, yeah like the easy part is converting the grapes into alcohol the hard yeah. part is actually making good grapes that yeah. make yeah. delicious alcohol
1: and that's been really an interesting thing throughout this process is I've had multiple people remark after doing work at our vineyard and helping plant and stuff, especially older generation saying, oh, I now understand why wine could cost 30 or $50 a bottle. Yeah. You know, they lived their whole lives and just not understood that. And now saying, oh, I understand why that could be the case. If if you're doing this in order to make that, then of course it costs that much. This is ridiculous. This is insane amount of work. And that's the thing is what what we're doing is sort of on the absurd end of doing everything the hard way, um, and part of that is just sort of for fun, but yeah. the other part is like not having the amount of funds required to do things an easier way. <laughs> um, yeah. But even if you are farming anything in the most industrial way you can possibly think of farming is still really hard and and not people in this country for the most part don't understand that which is unfortunate
0: yeah no it's i mean that's the mission of this podcast actually that's really why i started it just to help bridge that and make that connection between those of us who are urban dwellers and the 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 rural connection the agricultural connection the stuff that we all consume the choices that you know the population who aren't farmers make are are what determines how the farms are grown and how they're managed and and taking that for granted I think is a huge mistake you know we we have we have enormous power to make changes by the choices of what we consume and yeah. So there's my soapbox. I'll and, shut up. Yeah. No, that's an excellent podcast. <laughs> that's great. i glad,
1: glad you're doing that.
0: And I know that you have, I, I don't know if it's, if it's too extreme to say had some, uh, have been mentored a little bit by Mimi Castile. Is that? Yeah. Is, no, that's it's definitely just true. Some, some great advice. I mean, she's, she's fantastic and generous with her time and knowledge and so brilliant. And, uh, so did she try to talk you out of a deer fence? This is my one question. Going back. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, actually, the the deer fence is pre Mimi.
0: Um, okay, got it.
1: Yeah, the deer fence is pre Mimi. Um, yeah, she is amazing. She, yeah. we've we never met, I've never met her in person. Um, I heard her on an, another podcast and then sent her an email to her website saying, Oh, I'm trying to do this one thing, soil microbes, blah, blah, blah. And then she just called me. And then I've talked to her, you know, tons and tons of times since, but yeah, she just answers the phone. I have questions about whatever, or just things like, Oh, I'm really discouraged. And I feel like all the vines are going to die. What do I do? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and she just answers the phone and listens and understands. And it's, you know,
0: amazing. That's great. You couldn't yeah. have a better, I think agricultural mentor, viticultural mentor. Um, you're very Yeah, I, I agree. And
1: something that she, she said when she was on your podcast that I, I really resonated with here. And I think have, have been, she really put it into words that I couldn't have before is like the, what she said is the point of what she's doing and farming the way she is in, in Oregon, in the Willamette Valley is because if she, doesn't show that you can do it no one else gonna is gonna believe that it's possible basically
0: right going back to the proof of concept thing that you're talking about. right and that's
1: not word for word what she said but i'm pretty sure that's what she was getting at is like you can't just say hey you should stop spraying this and you shouldn't do that and whatever and people are just gonna say well if i do that then i'm gonna go out of business and all my vines are gonna die the only way you can you can say that and have it mean anything is if you can show that it's possible. Yeah. And and I think that's what she's doing and that's I think what we want to do with our vineyard here too.
0: So what are some of the challenges I know you're you know you have a very young vineyard so you probably haven't encountered even half of the challenges that you will over the next 10 years or so, but I imagine with elevation you have The potential for freeze damage, uh, frost, you know, late frost, things like that, and even just winter kill potentially if it gets cold enough. And then um, I imagine you're probably pretty arid there. So it's going to help with things like uh, powdery mildew and stuff like that. But, you know, are there other concerns that you have to think about?
1: Yes. So you're dead on with the frost thing. Um, A few years before we planted, uh we had in on May fifteenth, twenty degrees. Um that was before we planted, luckily, but that's the sort of potential at where we're at. Um right. that is probably like a once in ten or once in twenty years type of an event. Um, but that is devastating. Um yeah. so that's that's an issue. Um, so that shaped everything from like the site we picked being on a slope, right. To, uh, the varieties we are trying, you know, late budding varieties, et cetera. So that's one thing that's definitely a concern. Um, the water thing is, is really the biggest thing that we've come to now. Um, we have a well that we use for drip irrigation right now, um, establishing vines, The weather patterns here are kind of interesting. It's sort of the exact opposite of California and then with just less rain. So in California, it rains in the winter and then it basically doesn't rain at all during the summer. Right. Um, Which is great for growing grapes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Here, it basically doesn't rain at all from Halloween to June. Wild zero precipitation. It, you know, it might be, you might have one precipitation event during that time in a normal year, um, and then all the rain happens in the sort of like monsoon events during the summer. So during the growing season, which is you know obviously makes things difficult for growing grapes.
0: I was going to say it sounds like if you wanted to create a vine hell. Yeah. <laughs> gonna... <laughs> <laughs> and then well um, done. <laughs> right.
1: Well, on, on top of that, basically January to May, it's extremely windy. Like you know, extremely like just crazy wind. Okay. Um,
0: so, a lot of wind farms out there. I remember driving. A lot across. of wind
1: farms and a lot of solar farms. We got a lot of sun for sure. So that arid time during bud break, bloom. Um, I think actually makes disease pressure during that time. You know, that's normally a a high risk time for things like powdery mildew and different things Uh, sort of mitigates a lot of that. But the issue is there's very little moisture available in the soil at that point in the year without irrigation for vines to start growing. Uh, You know, that's a high water demand time too. So what we're trying to figure out is, how to maybe like mulch the vines pretty severely with like wood chips or something and just try to preserve water in the soil for as long as possible. The soil also drains extremely well. So now when the vines are young and don't have super deep roots, even irrigation water can sort of just like drain down past the root zone fairly quickly. Right. Um, And then with how arid and, sunny does the intensity of the sun at this altitude and this latitude causes that top part of the soil without some type of protection to dry out really fast so that's that's the number one thing that i'm trying to figure out right now is is that issue the sort of like keeping soil moisture in the root zone as much as possible with as little irrigation water as possible
0: Uh, I feel like anybody who knows anything about growing vines, or or has gotten used to growing vines in California, is going to hear this and think you're insane. <laughs> it yeah. just is, the challenges are <laughs> immense. That's that is amazing. I mean, I'm amazed that. I mean, I think you have. What are some of the? Let's say, let you talk about why you might end up with some really incredible wine from this vineyard.
1: Yeah. Um, I think, well, how about
0: this? I mean, what are the benefits, I guess, of all of overcoming all of these challenges in that area? Um, Sorry, go ahead. You were going to say something.
1: Yeah, well, no, that's, that's a really good question. I think it's really hard to say, but I, th- I would summarize it as this. if If we can farm this way and produce grapes and make wine out of them, that will be a wine... That'll just be a completely unique situation. Yeah. There will be no vineyard like that. Yep. Anywhere. You know, not, not, not that the farming won't be like that somewhere else, but that combined with the altitude and the latitude and the soil, it's totally unique. Yeah. You know, and there's not, there's lots of vineyards like that around the world that are totally unique, but there's not. You know, it's a very small minority. So that to me is very interesting. It's just having something that is definitely not like anything else. Yeah. And as far as how the wine tastes, I don't know. Maybe, you know, it might it might be just like, okay. I, you know, it's hard to say, but definitely the experience will
0: be totally unique. Um, well, let me, um, I've heard, have you done any high altitude wine tasting And compared them to you know yes not non-high altitude do you notice a difference um whether it's color or flavor or anything like that because I've heard of that but I haven't been able and I've definitely tasted stuff grown at high altitude I just haven't been able to do like a close comparison to other things yeah
1: my my thoughts about that are as follows initially like several years ago I was I did a lot more thinking about that and like Tried a lot of different wines from Argentina and especially, you know, going up into like Salta and like really high altitude, like much higher than we are. Um, And those wines are interesting, but again, it's hard to compare because pretty much all those wines, at least the ones I was able to get a hold of, are all made in a specific style that is Mm -hmm. very oaky, very ripe. Right. Uh, You know, they all. Taste like each other, but I have nothing to compare them to. Right. You know, I, I don't know if they taste different because of the altitude. Um, and then you get into some, you know, Etna type things where you get into like higher altitudes. But to right. me, Etna tastes like Etna. You know, yeah. they all. So then, what for me, with that sort of. And then you have the other funny thing is like you have in California where people are like, oh, it's a high altitude vineyard and it's like 1,200 feet. It's yeah. Like okay, that, that's fine. Um, I do
0: think it's funny when people in California list the elevation of their vineyard. I'm like, it just yeah. doesn't matter until you right. get over four thousand feet, people. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's a,
0: it's funny. But so I, where, where I ended up with that is
1: like, I don't think altitude on its own necessarily is something worth considering. Okay. But, but I think what really matters is what altitude means for other parameters you know, the, the importance of the altitude for us is the difference in temperatures at our altitude versus a place 50 miles away. That's 2000 feet lower. And in the summer it's 105 degrees there and it's 95 degrees where we are. Right. That's a big difference. And that you can absolutely tell the difference in the wine.
0: Yeah. You know, that's a huge difference. Plus, I, you know, you're getting much larger diurnal shifts at altitude yes. as well. I'm sorry, I used to live at 10,000 feet in Breckenridge, Colorado, yeah. so it was like you'd start the day with four layers, and midday you'd you'd be down to a t-shirt, and then at the end of the day you'd be back four layers. You know, basically just that's a cool. huge swing. Um, so I think
1: I think that's what altitude alpinism means is is three things: temperature, uh dryness of the air so just like how arid it is at altitude versus and again a place nearby but lower elevation that's totally different and then also just the solar intensity is extremely high so that is going to affect how how plants grow and things like that and disease pressure and all that too so i think those are the things that actually matter whereas just that you know it being at high altitude doesn't really mean anything to me at least
0: You know, I'll just throw this out there. If you, for, if you run into, which I'm sure you will, problems that need solving, um, Mm -hmm. I'm sure you're familiar with Gruet in New Mexico. And I know most of their vineyards are over five thousand feet, so they might be, you know, talking to those those folks might be a a great resource for just how they've how they've had to deal with things. um, Just as a thought. it's It's
1: funny you should say that. Um,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so Gruay uh, prior to their recent change of ownership and different things, their flagship vineyard, which is now called the forbidden desert vineyard, um, which is near truth or consequences, New Mexico, which is wonderful names. Yeah. it's Between four and 5,000 feet. So, you know, in similar right. climates, very similar to our location is, 25 years old vineyard uh it's like 50 acres and this year 2020 we actually bought some fruit from that vineyard um we bought chenin blanc and chardonnay uh nice and from the new owner no no longer owned by gruet uh, i think they still sell a lot of grapes to gruet but we were able to buy some of the fruit um it's now done fermenting i just got a chance to taste it again and it's exciting i think it's pretty good uh all right yeah so that's that's fun but again it's like it this is yeah so that's another weird thing is like we're as close we're closer to a lot of vineyards in new mexico than we are to a lot of the vineyards in texas Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um so that's another part about like being in a really big state and being in a weird place is like we you know we'll probably end up making wine from vineyards in new mexico and vineyards in texas um right. which happens certain places in the u.s sort of like oregon washington border right oregon, california that you know those things do happen but it's not super common so i think that's yeah. that's just kind of fun
0: We also have that the unique uh sort of radioactive quality of the new mexican vineyards that- <laughs> They cleared with nuclear weapons (laughs) rather than bulldozers. Yeah, yeah. These pressure for some reason. (laughs) Um, that's really cool. So tell me some more details about this vineyard. I, you know, I know if people go on your website, they're going to learn a lot of interesting things. Uh, Number one of which is that you planted like a bazillion varieties. Basically, how how big is the vineyard? So the vineyard
1: uh, is like but two and a half acres um and yeah. it was planted at four by five spacing um so very very dense it's head like planned to be head trained so you know no trellising uh and yeah we planted we've planted 27 different varieties most of those have been in like lots of 25 vines Um, and again, the idea with that is when we first started doing this, the first planting in 2018, didn't know a whole lot, you know, if I, (laughs) now I I probably would not plant 27 varieties, but at this point or at that point, it was like just trying to see what happens. You know, we have a lot of ideas. We're going for like late bud break, uh, cluster geometry for, you know, mitigating some of the rain during the growing season issues. Uh, general hardiness, that kind of thing. So a lot of those are experiments, a lot of like Southern Italian, Spanish, Portuguese, that kind of stuff. Um, and then like 90% of the vines in the vineyard at this point are Cabernet Sauvignon, Cab Franc, Tanat, and Carignan. Um, and again, those were, it's, it's kind of funny because those are all things that I like, you know, most of the wine I drink is like light red, White, rosé, just going for like acid, good with food, low alcohol, that kind of thing. And it's funny that we, you know, most of the vineyard is like burly red varieties. <laughs> um, but really, I, I, I really tried to, and you know, who knows if I'm dead wrong, but I tried to pick things that I thought would survive and do the best in this climate and site. Um, and then I'm hoping we get the vineyard producing and get to the point where we get to make some wine. Cause I would love the challenge of making some wine with those grapes in my own style, you know, in, in the style yeah. that I want to drink, you know, we're, I don't think we're ever going to make, get those grapes and do it at 40 day maceration and then put them in new oak for two years. You know, that <laughs> yeah. we're not, not going to do that. So um, it's going to be cool to figure out what, what we can do with that stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you can definitely take those big burly reds and and turn them into beautiful, elegant, yeah, you know, light reds uh, yeah. or or whites, even if you wanted to. I I remember tasting uh, kind of one thing that opened my eyes to the possibility of reds was a, a biodynamic uh, vineyard from up in Sonoma. Actually, um, this really cool couple was farming just like it's like 10 acres of petite verdot that's the only grape they grew wow and they had this beautiful like spark uh, like a sparkling like a pet Nat rosé uh actually it was not even a rosé they made a rosé from it then they made a pet Nat that was clear like they so they just whole cluster pressed it and fermented in bottle and then they had their red and it was like oh yeah you got you definitely get the whole gamut of whatever yeah. you want i mean it's just the you know just you can play definitely. um are you, so if you have, I mean, you could certainly make small batches of wine, but I imagine initially at least until you figure out what works and probably you'll probably have to replant at a certain point when things don't work and, you know, you replant with things that do work, you'll probably end up with more, a more dominant, you know, something that's a little higher percentage than it is now, I imagine might be a part of the process. I mean, I think it's really smart to use nature's own tools of diversity and you know just casting seeds wide and seeing what works and the ones that survive are the survivors and they'll propagate i think that it sounds like you're sort of replicating that as well but that will mean that i guess you're planning probably some sort of replanting in the future yes or on ongoing uh, trial and error for a while until things shake out
1: those like 25 vine trials were never, and people ask this question is like, those are never meant to be winemaking trials. Right. Um, you can't, you know, I mean, you could, but I, I have no interest in making 27 different tiny, <laughs> wine. not going to do that. Um, they were it was really like viticultural experiments. So I sure. think, you know, again, if we get to the point where, you know, 10 years from now, the vineyard is probably all, I'd, I'd say it's unlikely that it's all one variety, but it's likely all one field blend that's been selected right. for. So it's you know something like two to six varieties all scattered around, and and most of those experiments are gone. That's that's sort of where I see it
0: being. Indeed, I mean, there's still vineyards that persist in California like this. I'm, I'm sure other places as well where. You know that that was the old school style was you planted this diverse vineyard and then the it sort of accounted for vintage variation. Yes, uh, you, you were able to make you just picked everything all at once and the things that were underripe gave acid, the things that were overripe gave you know alcohol and and you end up with this nice field blend that from year to year ends up with balance just by virtue of the diversity of the grapes in the vineyard. Are you yeah. gonna are you hoping for something like that at least initially? Exactly. That's nice. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Well, I'm I'm excited to see <laughs> where things go and how it how it turns out. Me too. Um, <laughs> the last last we exchanged, you were on the verge of finding a place. How'd that work out? Uh, Are you still still searching not, or not well. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. It's still on uh, the hunt. All yeah. right.
1: Still still looking for a winery space. This morning I was on the phone with T A B C uh, which is the you know Texas. alcohol
0: regulation
1: yeah. people in Texas trying to figure out what constitutes a dry county? Um, it's kind of a funny conversation of you know I know oh, what uh, a dry county is uh, you know fully dry county meaning no alcohol sales are allowed and I know what a you know wet county is where there's no regulation preventing you from doing anything but what about counties or precincts within counties that say only allow restaurants to sell alcohol, but don't allow retail sales of alcohol. Is that a dry County or is it not? And no one could answer that question.
0: Um, and where, wow. And where, and, and because I'm sure you're, uh, so what is the County that you're in? What are the, what's it like?
1: Um. So, and this is again, our, our wine now at, uh, Robert Clay Vineyards Winery, where we've been borrowing space um, or renting space, I guess, um, is in Mason County. So that's one county that has its own weird laws. And then our vineyard is in Jeff Davis County, which has four precincts, with which all have different alcohol laws that were all written near the year 1900, and no one <laughs> knows where they are or who wrote them or what they say. Um, and then another location where we thought of it in Jeff Davis County is in a separate precinct from the vineyard with different laws. And then the place I told you about last time that we were trying to look at as a possible winery space is actually in another County. So there's just, you know, (laughs) lots of detective work, uh, lots of phone calls trying to figure out what TABC ended up telling me this morning is you just have to ask your local, county people. Right. Um, so I'm going to do that to what they Great. say. All right. Yeah. yeah fingers, but so, so far, crossed. no, no winery yet. Um, but still working on it.
0: All right. Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> we, um, Ricky, I, I, how can people do you want people to get in touch with you if people want to support what you're doing by you know following you on instagram or just you know coming to help uh do physical labor in the middle of nowhere how can they find out more and get yeah. in touch uh
1: if if people are interested and they're on instagram definitely check that out uh the website altamarfa.com, there's a thing on there where you can put your email address so that we will tell you when there is... A new blog post you can read that or when we have wine available the problem that i'm having now is people asking a lot oh can i buy wine where can i get wine where is it and we don't have any wine we're sold out of wine um
0: unfortunately
1: (laughs) Uh, we made our first wine last year and we sold 10 cases of rose very very tiny production um we sold that to like five restaurants and that was it um nice We have like 325 cases at the winery space we're renting right now. Um, I'm hoping that we'll release that early next year. And that will be our, you know, our first like real release that we'll have enough that I think hopefully everyone who wants some will be able to get to try some wine. So if people are interested in trying that when it comes out, definitely drop your email address at the website. That would be great.
0: Great. And what's your Instagram?
1: Uh, Altamarfa.
0: Okay yeah fabulous well thank you so much ricky for coming on and telling us about this and i'm looking forward to having you back in a couple years when we can taste the wine and find out what's happened and where you've gone with everything it sounds i
1: would would very much like that and thanks for definitely thanks for having me on today it's
0: fun yeah yeah definitely and good luck with all that i know it's a huge undertaking and uh you're gonna need help and luck and i hope people will support what you're doing as well because definitely of definitely need
1: help luck, support all of that
0: <laughs> cool all right we'll talk to you soon
1: okay thanks
0: thanks so much for listening to the organic wine podcast if you have any questions or comments you can email them directly to me at adam at com. that's adam at C E N T R A L a s If this podcast is valuable to you, please share it with others and leave a review. It really helps a lot. Thanks.